Well, church, what a blessing it is to be here again by God's grace with you all this morning to continue in our series word by word, verse by verse, line by line through the gospel of John, the foundation of our faith. The word became flesh. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 3 verses 31 to 36. And if you do not have a copy of God's word with you, our ushers are coming forward right now. Stick your hand up. We would like to put a copy of God's word in front of you so you can follow along. So critical that we follow along and that you study God's word for yourself as well. All right. And if you do not have a copy of God's word at home, please take that as a free gift for you so we can encourage you to continue to study his word on your own. It's page 518 in those Bibles, page 518, John chapter 3, verses 31 to 36. And last week, we looked at the testimony that John the Baptist gave, the final testimony that John the Baptist gave about Jesus Christ before John, now the forerunner of Christ, now he fades from ministry. He's fading from ministry, and now Jesus Christ is taking center stage, and he finishes, just look at verse 30 for a moment, he finishes with this incredible statement, one of the most uh, powerful passages that I have read this year thus far is this, he must increase, John says, I must decrease, exalting Christ as he fades to the background and Jesus comes to the center. And you say, well, why is it so important that John the evangelist, who's writing the the gospel of John, why is it so important that he made such an emphasis of John the Baptist's testimony? And here it is. Recall this from one of our first messages in the series. You'll see it on the screen. God sent John the Baptist into the world to tell us who Jesus Christ was And that we need to make a life-defining decision about him. Let's say that again. God sent John the Baptist into the world to tell us who Jesus Christ was and that we need to make a life-defining decision about him. And in fact, it's no wonder John the Evangelist, who's writing the Gospel of John, includes so much of John's testimony here because what's the very purpose of John's Gospel? If you recall, you'll see it on the screen. John chapter 20, verse 31, he tells us, but these are written, this Gospel is written, so that you may believe. So that you may believe, that life-defining decision, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so if there's such an emphasis on this, making this life-defining decision about Jesus Christ, believing to have life in his name, this begs the question... With all the testimony that you've heard in the first three chapters, begs the question, how will you respond to Jesus? If John the Baptist's whole purpose for coming was to make ready for the Lord a people prepared, that we need to make a life-defining decision about how we will respond to Jesus, and the purpose of John's gospel is that we may believe and have life in his name, the question just naturally begs, how will you respond to Jesus today? See, the problem is this. We live in a world with many ideas, so-called, quote-unquote, truths of who Jesus is. Some say Jesus was just a man. No, 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 Jesus was the highest of angels. No, 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 Jesus was just a prophet. Jesus was just a moral teacher. He's just a good guy. 
But he's not God. He wasn't the Savior. He wasn't the Son of God. He definitely wasn't the Messiah. So it begs the question, how do you know? How do you know what's true? How can you know what's true? There's so many messages. Some say he didn't even exist. Really? How do you know what's true? How can I know for sure who Jesus is and how I must respond to him because of who he is? Well, here's the best way. Here's the best way. Go to a true witness. Go to a true witness. And there's no better witness than who Jesus himself says he is. Forget what man says he is. Forget what other people, forget what social media says he is. Who does Jesus say he is? He is the true witness of himself. And so here in this text, the Apostle John gives an extended reflection. It's an extended reflection and summary on John the Baptist's testimony. And really, it's a summary that John is giving of the first three chapters that we have covered so far in his gospel. And it brings, it brings the testimony of John the Baptist, it brings all that we have heard thus far and seen in God's word to a climax, and it confronts us with three truths about who Jesus Christ says he is, and three questions, three questions we must respond to in light of that. You can't avoid these questions, loved ones. You cannot avoid them. Every single purpose of the 9 billion people on this planet and the 150 so in this room right now are confronted and must respond to these three questions because of who Jesus Christ truly is. If we are to have life in him, all John testified to is now brought to a head and we are brought to a point of decision. We are brought to a point of decision, and the question is that will filter through this entire message, Lord willing, how will you respond to Jesus? So to honor the authority of God's word, let's dive into it. Let's stand and start with verse 31, and we will read 31 to 36. Verse 31, John says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he's seen and what he's heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. So clear right here. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, three truths about Christ and three questions that we must respond to come out of this. Truth number one is this about Jesus. Jesus Christ is over all. Jesus Christ is over all. And the question that that truth confronts us with that we must respond to is this. Will I recognize his authority and submit to it? Will I recognize his authority and submit to it? Look at verse 31. It says this. John says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. 
Well, here we see in verse 31, John begins his summary by comparing Jesus to John the Baptist. He's comparing an earthly ministry of John to the ministry of Jesus himself. And he starts with describing Christ. That's the he in verse 31. He being Jesus who comes from above. And he makes it clear that Jesus was not from this world, loved ones. He was not just some man. He was not just some prophet. He was not just some moral teacher. Jesus Christ was not from this world. But he was from above. What does that term above mean? It means he has a heavenly origin in the presence of God. The presence where God dwells, eternal. He always existed. And it means, here it is, here's what it means he's above. He is infinite and unlimited. Get this. Infinite and unlimited in his knowledge, his wisdom, and his role as revealer of divine truth. Jesus is infinite He's eternal and unlimited in his knowledge and role as revealer of divine truth. And as such, this means this. And we see John repeat it twice because he wants us to get the point. It says he's above all. What does that mean? It means Jesus has all authority. Jesus Christ has all authority over all things. The Greek, therefore, above all means this. He has greater power. He has greater dignity. He has greater and he is greater than any other thing. He has a superior position based on his heavenly origin. Based on the fact that he is God himself, God eternal. If I could sum up that statement, it would be this. All creation is under the authority of Jesus Christ. All of it. He is above all. And then John goes on to compare John the Baptist's earthly ministry by contrast. And by extension, all of us. He says this in 1b, he says that a person has his origins on earth, he belongs to the earth, and speaks in an earthly way. Now the term earth that John keeps using there in that verse means this, he's finite. Would you agree that you and I are finite? That we don't know everything? That we don't see the whole picture? That we're finite, we are limited, and we are restricted in knowledge? And we don't have the authority or supremacy that Christ does. And we are, by that very truth, subordinate to him. Thus, Jesus Christ is superior to creation. Including you, including me. All wisdom, think about this. All wisdom, all power, infinite wisdom, infinite power, position, and authority over creation. Now stop for a minute. Do you realize the magnitude of that statement? We live in a world today that doesn't like to hear that, don't we? I'm God. I see the whole picture. I've got all the wisdom. I'm the one in control. I'm the one in authority. Doesn't our, our world just feed that? And our flesh loves that. I want to take control. I've got the whole picture of the situations I'm facing. And we fight against God's authority every day in how we make decisions. Why would I consult God? Why would I consult Jesus Christ about what will bring him glory? I'm actually God of my own life. I'm in control. I'm going to do my own thing. How about in how we spend our time or we spend our money? Why would I ask Jesus if doing this is actually going to be edifying? If this is, as Ephesians 5, 15, and 16 says, making the best use of time for the purpose which he has created me in my life. Why would I bother asking him? It's my schedule. I want to do stuff. 
We fight against God's authority in how we treat people. In how we act, in how we respond to them. Spouses, I want my spouse to do what I want. And I'm going to argue with her or him until I get my way. If only he would change, our marriage would be a lot better. Whose authority is there in that moment? Whose authority are you recognizing and submitting to in that moment? Or how about parents? My children, I want them to behave a certain way. I want them to do a certain thing. They're going to go where I want them to go and do what I... Whose authority are you recognizing right there, loved ones? This is my plan for their life. Really, is that the purpose of their life, for your plan? You sure? You sure about that? Who's really the infinite one? You know, you don't have to look around very much to see messages like this. Our flesh craves it. Here. This is right off an advertisement I saw this week. You'll see it on the screen. You are an infinite being, talking of you and me driving down the street. This is on a billboard. You are an infinite being, you sure? With unlimited potential, and you still are that magnificent. Uh, Let's filter that through the truth of God's word in light of verse 31. You sure about that? Um, you really want to go there? Let me, let me show you, just give you a, a brief little snapshot of what authority, true, ultimate authority, and what an, of the infinite being looks like, and what true magnificence looks like. Let's just do that. Journey there with me. And it starts at the beginning of all creation. We see it all around us, so let's just park right there. Psalm 33.8, you'll see it on the screen. And 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world, that is you and me, stand in awe. What is awe? Reverence of him. For he, ready? He spoke and it came to be. Yo, infinite being, did that happen for you? Hey, I'd like breakfast on my bed. Go. You think you can do that? Hey, I'd like my spouse to change. Change. How's that working for you? He says, he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God spoke the world into existence and like this and still had time for coffee before breakfast. He spoke, loved ones. Just think about this. Let's drill that down because we got to get a right perspective of ourselves in light of who Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ's authority truly means for our lives. Every cell, put it on the screen, put it on the screen. You know what those are? Those are red blood cells. Do you know how many red blood cells you have in your body? Billions. Not even counting all the creatures. There's billions of red blood cells in every one of our bodies. And God spoke. Well, let's go next. How about this? Every ocean. Every ocean. 
I love that picture of the ocean. Some of you are probably getting a little envious with the snow right now. But here's the reality. I love the picture of the ocean because it wasn't just every drop of water that he created. It was everything inside the ocean he created. He spoke. He didn't even use his hands for that. Can you and I do that? When's the last time you created an ocean by your mouth? How's that infinite being? How's that going? How about this? Let's go above the earth. Every mountain, that's on the Alaska Highway. Every mountain, God said, mountain. And that happened. You know, you look up at the sun. Used to be a science teacher. Do you know how hot the sun is? It's like upwards of 10 billion degrees. Do you know how God created that? He spoke and said, Sun. Done. Can you do that? Can I? But he's not done yet. He's not done yet. Let's go. Let's keep going up. Every galaxy. Do you know how many galaxies are in this? In the heavens? We can't count them. There's too many. And let's take that one step further. Isaiah 40, 26 says, He calls every star out by name. And none of them is missing. How does your wisdom compare to that? Oh wait, he's not done yet. Every creature on the land. He knows the exact number of hairs and feathers and claws and blood cells that are in every single one of them. And he spoke and filled the earth with them. Do you really still think you're an infinite being? That's what ultimate authority looks like. And let's not forget one more. Every human, nine billion plus right now, not to mention the billions before us and the ones that will come after us, is sustained and created by the one who has all authority, who is over all, Jesus Christ. Do you know why you got up this morning? Because Jesus sustained your heart and kept it beating for the last nine hours while you were asleep. Do you know why you took that breath right now? Because Jesus decided to let you have it. Is just what we can see. This is our God who dwells in unapproachable light, holiness, glory, perfection. This is our God. He created it all and he didn't just leave it. He sustains it and upholds it, Hebrews 1.3, by the word of his power. By his word. Hey, I'll give you another breath.
Take a step, go by his word. I love how John 1.3 says it this way, speaking of Jesus, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made through Christ by his wisdom, Proverbs 3.19 says, his understanding, his power, and his authority. All of creation is subordinate to him. So let me ask you a question. Can any wisdom or authority you think you have or I think I have do any of that? That's just for starters. Matthew 28, 18, this is why it says, we said in the baptism tank today, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not just some. Well, I have authority over this life, but not this one. I have authority over this part of the world, but not all authority. So question, are you recognizing the authority of Jesus Christ over your life saying this? Jesus, you have authority and I don't. You are God and I am not. I think I want to see the whole wisdom of this whole picture. I think I see the whole thing. But am I going to you and submitting to you because I know you do? You are God. I am not. Submitting to him in our marriages. Focused on getting your way or changing your spouse or in conflict. You, you don't. Listen, loved ones, you say, well, just change my spouse and we'll be good. Listen, don't wait for God to change your spouse. Get on your face before the Lord and I say, I submit to you, God, and your plans and purposes. They are good. You know, you are the architect of marriage. You know how it's supposed to work. Change me first. That's recognizing God's authority. It's not who can win the next conflict, loved ones. It's not who can posture themselves more and beat the other person down the most. How about this? In our, in our parenting, as we said, controlling our kids for what we want them to do and who we want them to be. How about this? Where are we seeking wisdom from? Are we recognizing God's authority in the wisdom we seek out? Are we going to Facebook before we go to FaceTime with the Lord? Are we going to just worldly counsel? Well, that's what everyone else does, so I better... Or are we recognizing and submitting to God's authority to say, your ways are higher than mine, your thoughts are higher than mine, Lord, I need your wisdom. Where are we going? In our jobs, in our schedules. This is my work week. Have you asked the Lord what he wants? Look at your calendar from the past week. How much of that recognizes God's authority and shows you submitting to it? You see, three truths about Christ and three questions we must respond to that Jesus Christ is over all. We're not just paying lip service, not just saying, yeah, God, I recognize your authority and then I'm going to do my own thing. There's a big difference between simply recognizing God's authority and then submitting to it. It's not just paying lip service. It's showing it through your obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit. Will I recognize his authority and submit to it? Because here's what happens. When we recognize Christ's authority, we begin to acknowledge truth number two. And it's this. Jesus Christ is the truth. When we start to recognize Christ's authority and submit to it, we realize truth number two. Jesus Christ is the truth. And the question that this confronts us with is this. Will I receive his testimony? Will I receive his testimony? Look at verses 32 to 34. John goes on talking about Jesus. He bears witness to what he has seen and what he's heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. 
For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. See, in verse 32, the first part there, John now tells us that the testimony of Jesus Christ, who Jesus says he is, right here, here's the testimony of Jesus Christ. God's word, the word of God himself, is the truth of God revealed to man and can be trusted. The Bible's not just some made up, well, let's see how how many people we can deceive and let's put this. It isn't just some made up, half-hearted, little cult-inducing book. This is the truth of God's word himself. This is not fake news. How do you know that? He tells us in 32. He bears witness to what he's seen and heard. Jesus is an eyewitness. He received these truths directly from God the Father in his presence before his incarnation in which he came to earth as fully God and fully man and then revealed them to us. He was with the Father in his presence. You say, how do you know that? Back that up, bro. Okay, John 1.1, look at the screen. We just sang it. In the beginning was the word. Notice capital W. That's a name. Whose name? Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God in His presence, and the Word was God. And you may say this. You may be here saying this. Well, others say they've got the truth of God. There's other holy books, and there's other things. What do you mean? They're saying they got the truth. How do I know? Well, praise the Lord. Recall John 3.13. Look, you'll see it on the screen. Jesus says this. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. You know what that means? Jesus Christ says there is no one else who's been on this earth who claims to be going up to God, receiving some enlightenment message, and then the truth of God's word, getting it, and then coming back down to earth to proclaim it to people. No, no, no. The only one who's done that is the one who descended. See, there was no ascending. Jesus Christ was with God. He was with God in the beginning, and he descended from heaven. He says, the Son of Man. There was only one who was with God in the beginning who became flesh and revealed the truth of God to man. There is only one. And all these other people may claim this. Other religions may claim this and say, this guy's been with God. He speaks the truth of God. Was he with God in the beginning? No. How do you know that? Because there's only been one. Jesus says so. And he's the truth. He's got firsthand knowledge. He's not relying on anyone else's info. Remember, remember. Loved ones, here, let's disciple in this. If it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. So all these people claiming that they're adding to the Bible or different religions or different things like this. Listen, there was only one who was with God in the beginning. And he hasn't changed his truth. He is unchanging. The message has not changed. And no, look at the back half of 32. Although Jesus Christ gives the true testimony or revelation of God, here's the unfortunate thing. People still reject or won't accept his testimony. And maybe you're here today and you're filled with skepticism. You're like, Bible, whatever. It's not going to prove true. Jesus, whatever. I'm just here because I like, got dragged. Actually, you know what, loved one? You're here because the sovereign God who has authority over all things said you were coming. 
He has a word for you. And the question is, will you receive his word? He's giving you an opportunity right now. And then in 33, John makes it clear that whoever does receive or believe Jesus' testimony has the God-given conviction that it is true and acknowledges it before man. It says that the believer, notice that, I love that expression, will set his seal that God is true. Okay, the seal, look at the screen. This is what it means to set the seal. All right, the seal, an ancient seal, was made of wax or clay and would signify the authentication of an item or a document. It would mean that whatever's in there, whatever truth is contained in there, whatever message is contained in there, has been validated as true and official, and it comes from the king. It comes from the one in authority. And in this case, the seal that John's talking of is the seal that is on our hearts, the conviction on our hearts that Jesus is who he says he is and that every word of God from his mouth will prove true. The word true there means, get the, I love this. Ready for this? In verse 33, the last word of verse 33, true means this, Greek, undeniable reality that when something is fully tested, it will ultimately be shown to be authentic and prove itself true. Hey, for those of us here who maybe are like, oh, I don't need Jesus, don't need this. I just, you want to take your first step? Just ask him, okay, Lord, will you prove that your word is true? I dare you to pray it. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. Because you can scrutinize it and you can come at it, yeah, but, yeah, but. But at the end of the day, God's word will prove True. How do we know that? Psalm 1830. Check out the screen. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true, and he is a shield for those who take refuge in him. You say, well, how can you know? How can you know it's going to prove true? Verse 34, it says here, because Jesus, who was sent by God, he utters the words of God. He's an eyewitness to the word of God. He's not uttering some like just random words of man or random words of culture. These are the words of God himself. And God gave him the Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? The third person of, the God, of God in Trinity. God is one being with three distinct persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he gave the, the Holy Spirit to Jesus without measure. That means without limit. In full. Now, let's get some clarity. You say, what does that mean? Up until Jesus Christ came, the Spirit had been given to the Old Testament prophets and others in only certain measures to do certain tasks, to declare a certain message at a certain time. But when Jesus came, he was given the Holy Spirit in full. And as such, everything he said, everything he declared all the time, everything he lived was the total truth of God and was 100% reliable and would always prove true because he was given the Spirit without limit. Everything he did. That's why he lived a perfect life. If I could sum that up, that section would be this. Jesus is the whole truth and nothing but the truth of God. Jesus is the whole truth and nothing but the truth of God. His word, his testimony is 100% trustworthy and will always be true. And if you are in Jesus Christ here today, be encouraged with this. I love how Matt, commentator Matt Carter put this. He says, the safest thing to believe in the entire universe is the testimony of Jesus. 
That is the safest thing to believe. You wake up, how many people say, well, what do I believe? How do I know what news is true? How do I know what's true? How do I know what's false? The safest thing to believe in the entire universe is the testimony of Jesus because it is 100% true coming from the Father. And you say, well, why is that? And it will prove true. Always. You can scrutinize it. You can try to take it off the shelf. You can come at it with your questions. You could... Jesus is not intimidated by your questions. Think about this, loved ones. For the last 2,000 years, this world has been trying to muzzle and discredit the word of God. Muzzle and believers are being persecuted. Bibles are being burned and banned. Church buildings are being annihilated. Oh, wait a second. But yet God's word still advances. That makes no sense. If all this is was a hodgepodge of man-made information, that's not going to last. But God's word still advances, and it is proving true against all of that opposition. You say, well, give me some tangible evidence. Okay, look where you're sitting. This church didn't exist a year and a half ago. I was talking to one of our first core group members at our prayer night on Wednesday, and he looked at me with tears in his eyes, and he said, Pastor Ray, do you remember when... We were sitting at that bistro table in Starbucks. I didn't know him. I was meeting him for the first time to say, you want to plant a church? <laughs> but he goes, remember, there were three of us, in, four of us in the church. You don't think God's word's going to prove true when Jesus says, I'm going to build my church? You bring on the opposition because when you're fighting with the Lord, you're fighting always in your favor. Or how about this? You just saw testimony from two of our precious brothers and sisters in the Lord of lives who've been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That cannot be man-made. That is a God-given supernatural miracle that a heart has been changed and a life has been saved. And you want to look overseas? Let's look overseas. You hear a lot these days about the persecuted church in China, right? Persecuted church in China with some of the hardest persecution in the history of that nation. And yet, guess what's happening? There's now over 60 million Christians, conservative estimate, in China. The church is booming. Just for your numbers sake, that's like double the population of Canada. That means every person in Canada times two would be a Christian in the most heavily persecuted nation, one of them on earth. Imprisonment, beatings, church of... And you say, well, why? Psalm 1830, because God's word will prove true. And when you are fighting against the gospel of Jesus Christ, hey, be encouraged with this. When one is fighting against the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are fighting a war you cannot win. Be encouraged, loved ones. The gospel, God's word, will prove true. It will not be defeated. Set your seal on it. Set your seal. Today's language, take that to the bank. So question, Jesus Christ is the truth. Will you receive his testimony? For some of us here, 
Are you ready to step out of the skepticism? Are you ready to step out of the lies of the world and believe Jesus for who he says he is? And for others who've made that decision to follow him today, let me ask you the question. Let's drill it down, get real practical. Where are you refusing to believe that Christ says in his word will prove true? What are you refusing to believe that God says is true? Where are you not receiving his testimony when that anxiety hits? What are you refusing to believe in that moment that God says is true? Because Jesus says, Philippians 4, 6, be anxious of nothing. So I'm obviously not believing something that God has said is true. What is that? Where are you not receiving his testimony when you're starting to seek satisfaction in other things? Whether it's lust on a computer, whether it's alcohol in a bottle, whether it's drugs, whether it's whatever, entertainment, pornography, you name it. What are you refusing to believe and refusing to receive from Jesus Christ that he says is true and that he says will satisfy you in him? If you turn to him and not that. What about this? When those anger outbursts happen, when that impatience happens, what am I refusing to receive of Jesus' testimony that he says is true? What am I believing that will cause me to act that way? What about this? When that fear of man hits, the fear of failure, what am I refusing to believe? Maybe Psalm uh, 41.10, fear not for I am with you. Jesus says, be not dismayed, I am your God. Remember who I am. I have all authority, and I am with you. Loved one, receive his testimony. You may not see how it's going to work. You may not see how it's going to go. It might look like a train wreck, but receive his testimony. Stand firm on his promise because his word will prove true. And start walking in the freedom that Jesus Christ came to give you. Lastly is this, three truths about Christ and three questions I must respond to. Number one, Jesus Christ is overall. Will I recognize his authority and submit to it? Number two, Jesus Christ is the truth. Will I receive his testimony? When And when we receive his testimony, we're confronted with one final truth. John makes it so clear here, and it is verse 36. Truth number three, Jesus Christ is the Savior, the only Savior. And the question we are confronted with is this, how will I respond to him. Look at verse 35 and 36. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. See, verse 35 makes it clear that once again, John emphasizes the authority of Jesus Christ that he received from God the Father. And that authority is over all things, and that's including you and me. And as a result of Jesus' authority, we see in verse 36 that he literally has the power of life and death in his hands. He is the only Savior of the world, and that each of us has a choice to make in how we respond. And we can respond in one of two ways. Here we go. Ready? Landing the plane. First possible response is this. I believe in him and have eternal life. So clear. Look at verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Pretty clear. Crystal clear. The word believe there means, is, the Greek word is pistuo, which means saving belief or entrusting oneself to. It's not just an intellectual belief of, yeah, I believe some guy named Jesus lived at some point. No, 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 that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about saving faith, saying, Jesus Christ, you are the Son of God, and I confess you as my Lord and Savior and turn from my sin. It goes way beyond head knowledge. 
It's believing that Jesus is who he says he is, that you came to earth as fully God and fully man, lived a perfect life and went to the cross and paid the penalty for my sin that I deserved, that separated me from God. And you died and rose again three days later, defeating the power of sin and death for all time. Lord, I need you. I repent and surrender my life to you. That's what it means to truly believe. And notice the promise. Notice the promise there. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Beautiful promise. You will not only have eternal life with Christ in heaven. So often we think eternal life has to wait until you get to heaven. And then, then you're, no, 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 that's not what he's saying. You will have a present experience of it now. You have a present experience of eternal life now as you increasingly share in Christ's life and are transformed more into his image by the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, what does that even look like? Let's just get some clarity on it. I love how commentator Matt Carter says it this way. When we choose to follow Jesus, here's the distinction. When we choose to follow Jesus, we can be in sync with God and his world. Like starving men, we can run to Jesus and be satisfied forever. No more running to the next partner you think is going to satisfy you. No more running to try to get the next spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend. No more running to a bottle. No more running to drugs. No more running to grades. No more running to popularity. That stuff's not going to satisfy you. Why do you have to keep running to it? He says you can run to Jesus and be satisfied forever. For the first time, we can have confidence. Wouldn't you like to live your life with confidence in Jesus Christ? Not in ourselves, but in the one who's been given all things. The one who has all authority. We don't need to worry. How many people here are worrying right now about something? Huh? Exam students? I see the smiles. I see the head nods. Yeah. How would it feel to not have to actually worry about that? Because Jesus Christ has all authority. And as you submit that to him, he'll guide you through it. Worrying about a marital situation. Worrying about a work situation. You want to just get stressed and get angry and do all these things? He says, you don't have to. Your confidence is not in yourself. It's not in that situation working out perfectly. It's in the one who is over it. And submitting it to him. And you can walk in peace in that. I love this. We don't need to worry because we're in Christ. We no longer are dominated by the darkness of sin. Those chains are broken, loved ones. The old has gone and the new has come. We can live in light of Jesus Christ. Abundant life to the glory of God. Will there be suffering? Yes. Will there be trials? Yes. But when you submit to the one who is over those trials, you get something much greater than getting through it. You get him. Set your seal on it. His word will prove true. But then there's also a second response. First response is this. I can believe in him and have eternal life. Lastly is this. I can reject him and remain under God's wrath. Look at verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John finishes here with a warning. What does it mean to not obey? Does not obey him. To willfully reject Jesus and his word. You will not see life. If you're not going to see life, then what do you see? Death. And separation from God 
in hell for eternity as punishment, as a punishment of God's wrath. You say, what's God's wrath? God's penalty against sin. He is a holy God. He is a loving God. He needs to punish sin. God's wrath is God's love in action against sin. Because we have rejected him. And all those who are rejecting God right now, you say, well, well, I don't really reject God. I kind of want my Jesus on the side. Stephanie said it so beautifully in her testimony. You can't love the world and love the Father. It's one or the other. You can't say, well, yeah, I want Jesus because I kind of want to be saved from, from hell. And, but I'll, I'll, I love the world, so I'll just keep doing this. No life to... You can't do that, loved ones. That just shows your heart is not genuine. You cannot love the world. You cannot... Jesus knows those who are his. He knows who's paying lip service. That's the reality. There's no Jesus on the side. It's Jesus plus nothing is eternal life. And all those who are rejecting God now have his wrath upon them. Notice that? It says the wrath of God remains. If you are here and you are rejecting Jesus Christ right now and have never confessed him as your Savior, the wrath of God is upon you. That's the reality. And he says it will remain on you. The more you continue to push away, that's not for me, whatever, Jesus freak and blah, blah. Really, really? Because here's the reality. Right now we live in an age of grace where God has made available salvation to all who come to him. You don't have to clean yourself up. I'm not perfect, trust me. Just ask my wife. Sin all the time. But the reality is this. Right now we have the choice to bow the knee before the king. One day very soon we won't have the choice. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, will you do that before it's too late? This is about as serious as it gets, loved ones. I wish I could sugarcoat this in some ways. I just can't. It will, that wrath of God will remain on you for eternity. Why? Because there's nothing you can do on your own to save yourself. You cannot clean yourself up. You cannot work really hard. Well, I'm better than the next guy, so God's got to look favor. It doesn't work like that. The only way God looks favorably upon you is through the blood of his precious son that covers you when you are saved. You can't save yourself. There is only one Savior. And so today, loved ones, if that's you, if that's you, I don't, I don't care what, where you came from on this or anything like that. This is, this is the reality of God's word for you today. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Because today can be the day of your salvation. Do not harden your heart to this. Do not push this away as some fairy tale, some man-made, made-up message. This is the word of the Lord for you. How will you respond Because Jesus is over all, he has all authority, and he is the truth, and he is the only Savior. How will you respond to him? Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you are the King, and you have all authority. All of time, all of creation is in your hands. You are the name that is above every name. And God, I thank you that though we are a sinful people, you did not leave us on our own. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever believeth in him 
should not perish but have eternal life. Father, I thank you that you don't wait for us to clean ourselves up or, or, or to act rightly for a certain period of time before you'll hear us and receive us. No, no, no. You say today can be the day of your salvation. I see what you've done, loved one. You can't hide that. I see what you're engaged in, and I still say come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And if that's you this morning saying, Jesus, I need you, I am not saved. And I pray today you would confess him and say, Jesus, I need you. I repent of my sin. I turn from that. I don't want that junk anymore. I need you. I'm separated from you. Please be my personal savior. And for those of us that are here that are maybe not receiving your testimony and we've confessed you and we're, we are yours, but we're, there's areas of our lives we're not receiving your testimony, not believing it will prove true. I pray right now, we would cast those on you and repent of that and say, Lord, help my unbelief. Help me to believe that your word is true, that it is powerful, that it has all authority and that it is sufficient for me. This we believe, Lord. This we believe. May it be so.